Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again this morning to praise you and worship you, worship your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has revealed you to us, who also has revealed himself to us, his people, by your Spirit, that we may know you, that we may know him as your Son and as our Savior and our hope of salvation. And Lord, I pray to thank you for your word that you have kept for us and now uh, are teaching us by your spirit that we may understand what says the Lord about himself. For many in our day have lost the testimony of Christ even in the places that identify themselves as the churches of Christ. For Christ is being despised as just an exalted man. They don't realize that he is the God of glory, the King of glory, God in the flesh. And we pray that this testimony will be given to all your people, that they may believe upon him and have eternal life. For life is given only in the proper confession of Christ and who he is. So Lord, we pray now that you open up the scriptures to us and give me understanding that I may teach your people that they may hear and believe and be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in John 5, I thought maybe we would have one more sermon from the book of John chapter 5 and be done, but I realized, no, it's not going to happen. There are some statements that are in there that require more time. So I'll have to have a few more weeks in the remainder of the chapters to try and extract as much as we can extract from what the Lord has given me to share. So today we are going to be hearing in John chapter 5, verses 36 to 38, the Lord continues to talk about testimony and why testimony is important, especially in his own case. He is making the case that he is God, and God has given testimony and committed himself to what Christ is claiming himself to be. And Christ is claiming himself to be none other than God himself, and he says, I don't need any testimony from man, even that from John the Baptist, even though John testified to the truth about me, I don't need testimony from man. I only need the testimony from God. And I know that the testimony from God is true because I am God. And the testimony that really matters is from my father. But then he's going to say, um, I know why you don't believe I know why you don't believe, and it's going to give reasons why the people were not believing in him, because they've never seen God. They've never seen God, and they do not have the word of God abiding in them. And he's going to give an extra reason later on at the end of this chapter. But we have to come to the conclusion right from the beginning when we started. We have been talking about the deity of Christ 
and it's been impossible to talk about any chapter or verse in the book of John without coming to that. And that's what the Holy Spirit would have us to understand that Jesus Christ is God the Son. He is God the Son. For God ascribes to him those things that God alone does. And the Jews of his day really understood what Jesus was saying about himself. And because of that, they were trying to kill him. And actually, they ended up killing him and putting him on the cross. Because in their mind and way of thinking, Jesus was committing blasphemy. So with those words, uh, let's go to John 5, 36 to 38. John 5, 36 to 38, and this is what the word of the Lord says. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither had his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. So by way of title, we have several titles that we can get from this, but it is still about witness. Is the witnesses of Christ part two, or the testimony of the Father about the Son, or you can say the testimony and identity of the Son, because all this testimony is leading you to know the person of Jesus. That is why the testimony is given. But as we are learning this, let us not forget where this is coming from. Because we have gone further down into the chapter that we forget that this is the same discussion that the Lord is having with the Jews because he has just healed a sick man on the Sabbath. And the Jews were mad both at the man for being healed and carrying his pallet on the Sabbath and the Lord Jesus Christ for commanding him to do such and even healing him on the Sabbath. And so the Lord takes the occasion to give them a theology lecture on his bill of sovereign rights. That's basically what Jesus is arguing here. He is saying, I have a bill of sovereign rights as God. And I have to teach you why I do the things that I do, even though they are contrary to your way of thinking. I have the sovereign right to do whatever I want. So the rest of the discourse, the rest of the discussion, the rest of the back and forth is supposed to teach the Jews and us about the origin of the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus, his origin, his relationship to God and his work as the mediator, as the only mediator of salvation and judgment. Because you see, in this discussion, Jesus ties 
his identity to his right to do the things that he does. And not only that, he takes that right and identity to say your salvation or judgment depends on me and what you say about me. So the Lord has argued about his person and said he does everything that God does. Those works that he sees God the Father doing and unless Jesus is out of his mind, he is saying, I am God. I am able to see all the things that God does and I know everything that God does. And he can only be that if he also is God. And we know that there's none or no one who has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. And we have that at the beginning of John. No one has seen God. But he who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So Jesus is the one who has seen God. And our conclusion then can only be that Jesus is claiming to be God. He doesn't have to come and say, I am God. He says, the works that I do, if you are thinking right, can only bring you to one conclusion, that I am God. So Jesus has claimed the power to do such things as only God is able to do. Such things as raising the dead to life and granting them eternal life and judging people to condemnation, especially at the end of the ages because he's tying judgment to the end of the ages is supposed to awaken the Jews to the reality that they already knew that God was going to raise all men at the end of the ages and judge them to life or to everlasting condemnation. So he is very purposeful in the selection of the things that he brings to them because he wants to awaken them to the reality of his claims. And the Lord says, with that understanding, let me tell you who I am. I am able to do the very things that you understand God alone is capable of doing. I have life in myself, and I have the right to grant it to whomever I want. The power to possess life in oneself. The power to possess life in oneself is only a characteristic or quality or attribute of one who is God. And therefore, to grant life would and can only be properly and clearly understood as a divine prerogative. Only God has life in himself, and he alone is able to give it. And the Lord says, my father loves me so much, and because he loves me, he has given me the right to execute judgment on all men for the reason that all should honor the son as the father is honored. So you see then the whole 
plan and purpose of salvation is in the exaltation of Jesus. If we read the Bible and come to any other conclusion which is not the glory of Christ, then we are reading the Bible in vain. And obviously, the Jews are not cheering at Jesus at this point. The Jews are mad. They are angry. They hear what he is saying. And in their mind, they are thinking, this man is out of his mind. He's committing blasphemy. And I could even imagine that there were some who were looking around to see if they could find some pieces of rock and stones. They were looking. Is there a piece of rock close by that I can just reach and hit this guy and get the foolishness out of him because he can't be saying the kind of things that he's saying. So the Lord continues to argue for his identity even to John chapter 6. He's going to end, not even to John chapter 6, the rest of the book of John. The Lord is going to be arguing for his identity. In John chapter 8, he's going to say, before Abraham was, I am. So it's a continuation of the same arguments that the Lord was having with the Jews. So he continues to argue for his identity as God from the work that God has appointed him to do. He's saying the kind of work that I'm doing is not a work that can be done by anybody who is not deity, anybody who is not God. So he has said to them, I am the one who has been appointed to execute judgment. And also by his voice, by his voice, shall all men be resurrected by his voice. Where do you get that authority and understanding to make such a claim that you, the son of a carpenter, a carpenter, are going to speak and to raise all men to life and to judge them? What is that about Jesus? Who can raise anyone to life unless that person is God? Because these guys have the scriptures. They have the scriptures. But that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is claiming. He says, those who hear the voice of the Son of Man, those who hear the voice of the Son of God in this hour and believe in him who sent him, that is, believing in the testimony of God the Father about the Son, these possess eternal life right now. And in the time to come, the hour to come, they shall be resurrected to a resurrection of life. But those who deny the testimony of Jesus are denying the testimony of the Father. You can't have Jesus and not have the Father. And you can't have the Father without Jesus. So you can't say you believe in God without saying you believe in Jesus. They are inseparable. So he says the ones who believe in Christ also believe in God the Father. But those who don't believe in Christ, guess what? The wrath of God abides on them in this hour and also in the hour to come, God is going to raise them to a judgment of condemnation. 
So then, according to the Lord's understanding, God is actually right now in the process of judging people. Here and right now, God is judging people. Those that believe in Jesus right now are reckoned as already judged as righteous and possessing life. Very, very important. God is already multitasking. God is judging people right now. Those that reject the Son are being judged right now to condemnation. And as I said, these are not the words of an angel. These are not the, angel, the words of just a prophet. These are the words of the Son of God. This is someone who is claiming to do the works of God. And according to Jesus, it doesn't matter what people say about him at the end of the day. What matters is his own opinion of himself and the Father's opinion of him. And Jesus has a very high opinion of himself. If he was just a sinful man, would say he is a very conceited man. But Jesus is very, very, very dogmatic about his person. He doesn't negotiate his person. And he won't let any man compromise his person. So now he gives evidence. He gives testimony. He gives witness of himself and says, John the Baptist has testified of me, but I do not really regard the testimony of John. I don't really regard the testimony of man, for I do not need the testimony of any who are born of a woman, because truly they don't really know who I am. To the point that, as we saw some months back, John the Baptist, even after having made all that testimony about Jesus, when he was in jail because of Herod, he too was starting to doubt who Jesus was. Are you the one or shall we wait for another one? Even John was starting to be shaky in his testimony of Christ. And remember what John the Apostle told us about Jesus in John 2.25. John the Apostle recorded for us and said, He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Jesus says, I have testified of myself, but even though I'm not lying, I will give you additional witness as the law commands from Deuteronomy 19, if you remember, that by the testimony of two or three witnesses shall a matter be established. So Jesus says, what I'm telling you is not false, but I'm going to give you additional witness. So the Lord says, his works bear testimony of him. The Father has testified and is testifying of him through the works that Jesus performs. The scriptures all point to him. Moses spoke of him. And as we shall see later in John 15 and 16, Jesus comes and says, The Spirit also bears witness of him. 
And not only that, his disciples also are going to bear testimony of Jesus. And guess what? That completes a sevenfold testimony of Jesus. That's a perfect testimony. Perfect witness. And because no one has seen God at any time, and no one has known God, someone who knows God has to come and make a testimony of God and to reveal God to us. And that's what Jesus is doing. And for this to happen, he has to bring a number of witnesses that he may authenticate his message, that he may authenticate his claims of deity and having come from God. Jesus can tell us about the things of God. So we hear him saying in Matthew eleven twenty seven, in Matthew eleven twenty seven, this is what the Lord said. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Isn't it interesting that every time that the Lord makes a claim of his deity, he always has a line that says he has the sovereign right to reveal or to serve whomever he wants. He always puts it there to say, when it comes to revelation, it's upon me to decide who knows anything. And when it comes to salvation, it's upon me to determine who gets saved and who doesn't. He always puts it. And in John 6.46, this is what the son says. Not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God. He has seen the father. So the Lord is saying, no one can know the son unless the father reveals the son to them. This is important development that we are having here because we need you to really understand that Jesus Christ is God. And he's building all these statements that you may come to the one and only conclusion that Jesus is God. That's the point. Nobody argues that Jesus is man. That is straightforward to everybody who are seeing him. Their biggest stumbling is in his claim of deity. And you also, if you stumble at Jesus' claims of deity, guess what? You've just stumbled as the Jews stumbled. And anyone who stumbles at the deity of Christ has stumbled at salvation. So it's not just a lack of understanding. There is salvation attached to who you say Jesus is. Because as we know from John 17, 3, salvation is about knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. That is salvation. That is eternal life. And Jesus says that cannot happen outside revelation by God. You cannot know Jesus outside revelation. You cannot know God outside revelation. You cannot have eternal life 
outside the revelation of Christ. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, then it only happened one way. And it was not by the exercise of our will. Whether one claims that their will is free or not is not the reason Jesus Christ gives for why someone believes or they don't. Jesus did not say that. He said it is only through the revelation of the Father and his drawing of you to him that one can believe in Christ. It's not in you. It has to come by God. But the Lord Jesus is also saying, He is God. And if any would know the Son, they would also know the Father. And if they know the Father, they would also know the Son and believe in the Son because the Son and the Father are inseparable. And since the Son is the one who men have seen, He is everything they can see and know about God. Earlier on, I alluded to John 1.8.10 about no one having seen God. This is what it actually says. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He has explained Him. And in John 14, in John 14, verses 8 to 11, we have Philip. Philip. He talks to the Lord and says, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Just show us the Father. Show us. Because you say no one has seen the Father. And you have come from the Father. You show us the Father. Listen to the Lord's response in John 14.9. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Do you see there the Lord is arguing for his union with the Father? He's not saying when you see Jesus, Jesus is the Father. No, Jesus is the Son, but He is the Son who is in such intimate union with the Father that they are inseparable. That's what Jesus is claiming. So the Lord is saying, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have heard from me, you have heard from the Father. And because you need the Father to know the Son... And you need the Son to know the Father. It means you cannot come to Christ without special revelation. You cannot come. You cannot. It's impossible. No man can come 
to God without God coming to them first. It is impossible for anyone to believe in Jesus except by special revelation. As we learn more about Jesus and his teaching, he says, the Father hides and reveals the Son. God the Father hides and reveals the Son. Isn't what Jesus said in, in Matthew 11. Listen to that again. You, you have to hear what I'm saying. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And then for everybody else, guess what? And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So the Father hides and reveals the Son. The Son hides and reveals the Father. And the Holy Spirit hides and reveals the Son. That's what they do. So now, for you to be able to come to a true confession of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have to be involved. Otherwise, you shall remain in your foolishness. No one comes to the Father but by the Son. But no one comes to the Son but by the revelation of the Father. And no one comes to the Son but by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. You must be born Sarah Anothen. There's no one who comes to the Son by their own will free or not. We have to say these things right because when someone says that, they are saying that Jesus Christ's claims are not true. That God is lying when he says no one, absolutely no one comes to Christ except it's God who draws them to Christ. It's impossible. It's never been done before. And it's never happened and will never happen. There's no man who comes to Christ by themselves. So the Holy Spirit would even come and say, there's none who can confess Jesus as Lord except by him. You can't say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. So this free will Baptist church is foolishness and Christ and God dishonoring and Jesus is laying for us and has been laying for us that it is impossible for one born of a woman to come to him outside the work of God. Jesus has told Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. So to be born again is the work of God's special revelation. To be born again is to be given God's witness of Christ. It is God saying to you, go to my son. Because sister does sell, if God leaves you to yourself, you have no way to know to come to Jesus. There's no way. God has to come and tell you to go to Jesus because it is in Jesus that God has put everything.
You need life. You have nowhere to get life. You don't know where to get life unless God tells you. And God has told you to go to Jesus. And that's why you were born again. The Lord said, unless you are born again, you are born from above, you will no way see the kingdom of God. We are tying here the teaching of the new birth and the witness of Christ. Because when you are born again, what God is doing is he is giving you the same witness that he has made of his son. He is bringing you to make the same confession of Jesus Christ as he has made of him. And remember the word confession. The Greek word that is translated confession is homologia. Two words. It's a compound of two words. Homo, same. Logia, logos, words. So to make a confession of Jesus is to say the same words as God has spoken about him. So when you are born again, God is giving you the witness of Christ so that you and God can say the same things about Jesus. That's what is happening. Not the foolishness that men are talking about. That they came to Christ by themselves. So unless you are born from above, you will no way see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, your GPS navigation can never direct you to Christ. I have a GPS navigation and I have a setting for home. Go home. Wherever I'm driving, if I decide to go home, I just push on that and it starts giving me directions to come back home. When you're born dead in trespasses and sins, your default setting on your address is hell. Whatever you do takes you to hell. It doesn't matter unless God comes and changes the address to go to Jesus. Guess what? You're going to hell. So the purpose of being born again is God coming and changing the address in your navigation system. And say, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Turn left. Turn right. Go to Jesus. So Isaiah, or God has already spoken about the blindness of man to the glory of Christ. We have to emphasize to men that they have no ability to know Jesus outside God. Because if we don't do that, there's no glory in the gospel. There's no glory in Christ. They see Christ as just one person among many who is running office and potentially can stabilize the economy for us. No. Listen to what God says about man's blindness to the person of Jesus from Isaiah 53, verses 1 and 3. Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 3. Who has believed our message? This is the message of the gospel. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, 
and like a root out of patched ground that's describing the person of Christ. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. No stately form, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. Like one. Have you ever seen someone who is so bad in their physical appearance that you can almost not look at them? That's Christ. That's Jesus. No attraction. And we did not esteem him. You don't esteem such a one. But if you see the Hollywood celebrities walking on the red carpet, guess what? I like the dress. Oh, she was looking beautiful. Oh, yeah. That, that's what man esteems, not Christ. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What is that saying? Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord. And he has to be revealed. Why? Because God put him, God clothed him with an appearance that was not attractive to men. So that you would only know Jesus if God revealed him to you. That's the wisdom of God. But that's foolishness to men. Even now, Jesus is still despised and forsaken of men. And yet some sinners want to claim to us that they, by their own ability, by their own unaided physical eyes and wisdom, are able to choose Christ and to make him Lord and Savior. How can the blind see unless their eyes be opened? How can the blind see unless their eyes be opened? How can your GPS navigation take you to the desired destination unless you put in the correct address? So then, how can you get to Christ unless God has put the correct address in your heart? in your spirit. To be born again, as I said, is to be given God's GPS navigation system to Jesus. The Father's GPS sends you to Jesus. Jesus' GPS sends you to the Father. Remember, no one can come to the Father but by me. So Jesus' GPS sends you to the Father. The Father's GPS sends to Jesus. Jesus says, no one comes to the Son except the Father draws them. The Holy Spirit's GPS sends you to Jesus. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. So you see, God is teaching you how salvation works. These are spiritual things. You need God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for your salvation to be completed. If the Lord would leave you to make your own testimony of Jesus, you wouldn't have much to say about him. And you wouldn't have much good things to say about him. Remember what Isaiah told us. 
Jesus had no stately form or majesty that we should desire him. Jesus was no Mr. Olympia. He was no Hollywood star. He had no appearance that we should naturally be attracted to him. He can only be known by revelation. He can only be known by revelation to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. So if Jesus has to be believed upon, he has to be believed by only those that have received revelation from God. Those who have been born again, those who have been given the living water, those that have been drawn by the Father, those who have the GPS navigation of the Spirit of God. And the Jews stumbled and were stumbling at him because they had none of these. And none of these had happened to them. They didn't have the Spirit of God. They were not born again. They did not have the living water. They were still blind and they were foolish and their hearts were darkened. They were darkened to the person of Christ. And that is why they hated him without a cause. So now Jesus says, Hear the testimony of the Father about me, and your eternity rests on what you do with that testimony. Your eternity rests on what you do with the testimony that God has given about his son. He says, the works of Jesus are the product of the Father and are done in union with the Father. And these are not ordinary works. These are not works that some showman, some magician can try and do. They cannot be replicated by anybody. John 14.10 Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. So the works that the Lord was performing are also attributed to the working of the Father through the Son. John 15, 23 and 24. He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did. Do you hear that? The works that no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both sinned and hated me and my Father as well. So the works of the Son were the kind that no one else did. They could not be replicated by the likes of Simon the Magician. You still remember from the book of Acts. And the seven sons of Sceva. And how they came and said, well, they were trying to cast out demons. And they said, well, we cast in the name of the Jesus that Apostle Paul preaches. Not their Jesus, but the Jesus of Apostle Paul. And the Lord allowed the demons to make a show of them and make a public spectacle of them that they ran naked. 
the men who had the demons came and overpowered them. And they took off running naked. That's what happens when you try to play with the Lord. So let's get some understanding about the witness of the Son. Let's develop this some more because it seems from the words of Jesus that life itself and condemnation are based on these words. There's nowhere else where you're going to find words about life and judgment and your eternal state. There are a lot of people, financial advisors, life planners, and all those people. They have all kinds of words that they'll tell you about how to best live your life. But the words of Jesus are at a different level. And because they're at a different level, we have to have a real understanding of what Jesus is really claiming about himself and you. He says, life and salvation are in you believing or rejecting what he says. Condemnation is in you rejecting what Jesus says. And it's very interesting to me, and it should be interesting to you also, because Jesus does not really base your salvation on how bad you are. God does not base your salvation on whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you store, you... He doesn't. He says, your salvation depends on what you say about me. Because if salvation depended on what you are, it will glorify you. Whether what you did is bad or good, it will glorify you. Salvation has to be in what you say about the Son, not what we say about you. That is what is consistent with the honoring of the Son. So you see, we have to get this theology right. But there are some people who are quick to condemn. There are murderers in heaven. There are a lot of people who committed adultery who are in heaven. There are a lot of people who are who were divorced who went to heaven. And yet, there are a lot of people who were more righteous than them who are in hell. What's the difference? Christ. The difference is Christ. The difference is their confession of Christ. That's all there is to it. But that is not sufficient for men to hear because we want to build confidence in the things that we do ourselves. And that's the folly of sin. It wants to reject the testimony that God has made of his son that we may stand in there in its place and say, me. God, you have to accept me Look at me. I am beautiful. I am so beautiful. I am so good. If you happen to watch the funeral of Whitney Houston, there were some foolish pastors there saying, oh, how God is so blessed today. He couldn't wait for Whitney Houston to come. And heaven is no more the same. Heaven is no longer the same because Whitney Houston has come to heaven. That is the foolishness of man. 
And that comes why? Because they don't have the words of God. They don't have the witness of the Son. They don't have the witness of the Holy Spirit of how you can be in the presence of God. There's no creature who adds anything to God. So Jesus says, to not believe in Jesus is to hate him. And to hate him is to hate the Father. And he says, that is a much greater sin than adultery. Because Jesus is not going to condemn you for adultery. He says the greater sin is not adultery. The greater sin is your rejection of him. That is the greater sin. You can be forgiven of adultery. That is not a problem for Jesus. Only a problem for you. But that's not a problem for Jesus. Jesus is ready and is willing and is able to forgive of all your sin. And in John 3.19, this is what John records for us as the basis of why anybody is condemned. Listen, John 3.19. And this is the condemnation. He's saying this is the basis on which one is condemned. This is the reason, the basis on which one is condemned. Listen. That the light has come into the world, and that's Jesus. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So man, instead of running to the light and believing in what the light was confessing about itself, they said, no, you're not going to have any of him. Let's put him out. Let's put him on the cross. We don't want him. So the witness of the Father, the heavenly witness is what is most important to the Lord. And unfortunately and sadly, the Jews rejected him. And even in our time, many billions of people are rejecting the testimony of God about his son. But now, the Lord gives us the reason why the Jews were not believing in him. This will be the last part of our verses 37 and 38 for our sermon. Now the Lord gives us the reason why they were not listening. It's beautiful theology. Listen to this. John 5, 37, 38. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in him who, whom he sent. So the Lord here gives a threefold understanding of why the Jews would reject him. Number one, they have neither heard his voice. Whose voice? The voice of God. Like Moses had the voice of God in the wilderness. You have to hear that. The reason why the Jews are rejecting Jesus is because they have never had the voice of God as Moses had the voice of God in the wilderness in Exodus. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. 
or in Deuteronomy, the Jews are reminded of when the Lord spoke to them. And they were so fearful that they told Moses to tell God not to be talking anymore. Tell him not to talk to us. We are afraid. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying, you have never heard the voice of God. And if you were true followers of Moses, then you would also have heard the voice of God in me. If you were true followers of Moses, you would have heard the voice of God in Jesus because Moses spoke of him. Listen to this, John 3, 34. For him whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. So Jesus is saying he is the voice of God that Moses had, that Israel had. And because they do not hear Jesus' words, they are not true followers of Moses. Oh, that's beautiful. Because the Lord is going to say at the end of this chapter that if you have believed in Moses, you would have believed in me. So he is linking them back to Moses because they say they are disciples of Moses. Secondly, they do not believe in Jesus because they have never seen God's form or his face. Because if they had seen God's form as Israel, Jacob, if you remember in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with an angel, and that angel was Jesus. The angel that Jacob wrestled with and changed his name to Israel, prince who has power with God, is Jesus himself. So he says, if you had seen, if you were true disciples and descendants of Israel, Jacob, who wrestled with me, Guess what? You would have seen the face of God in me. You would have seen the face of God in me. So the conclusion is you are not the true descendants of Jacob. Oh no, this is serious business. If the Jews were true descendants of Jacob, they should have seen the face of God in Christ. And in John 8, we are going to hear a similar argument. The Lord is going to tell them that if they were true descendants of Abraham, they would be doing the deeds of Abraham. What were the deeds of Abraham? Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham saw my day and he was glad. So if you Jews think that you are true descendants of Abraham, you should not have any trouble believing in me. So this is serious theology here. But in John 8, Jesus is going to say, no, you are not descendants of Abraham. You are of your father, the devil. If Abraham were your father, you would have come to me. So, listen to Philip. We already talked about Philip. When Philip was asking the Lord in John 14 and saying, show us the Father. And Jesus says, 
If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen God. So he's saying, if you were descendants of these, your progenitors, Abraham, Jacob, you should not have had any trouble believing in me. If you were really true followers of John the Baptist, you should have no trouble believing in me. And if you really understood the scriptures, you should not have any trouble believing in me. If you really listened to what Moses said, you should not have any trouble listening to me. And next week we are going to be, maybe the week after, just working the theology of the scriptures and how they testified of Christ and within Moses in there. So the Lord gives the third reason and says, You do not believe in him whom the Father has sent because you do not have the word of God abiding in you. You do not have the word of God abiding in you as it did in Moses, in Joshua, in David, even in Jeremiah in any of God's people in the Old Testament. Like in Jeremiah 15, 16, he says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And to that the Lord would say in John 17, verse 14, I have given them your word. This is the high priestly prayer. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus is saying, they don't believe in him because they do not have the Father abiding in them. And if the Father was abiding in them, they would have the word of God in them. If God had put his words in them, they would have believed in the Son but because God has not taught them. And he's going to say that later on, not in this chapter, that any who has been taught of God will come to me. So they have not been taught of God. So these people are ignorant. And because they're ignorant, they're failing to see the person of God in Christ. They are not believing in the one that God has sent. But there's an issue that comes from that. Jesus is saying, because of your failure to see me, it just doesn't end there. Your failure to know who I am is also blocking access to God. Your failure to acknowledge the person that I am is blocking your access to God. So if you have been blocked to making a true testimony of Jesus at the beginning, guess what? It's going to affect your future development of your knowledge and access of God. The one who denies that Jesus is God will never know more about Jesus' claims that he is God. And the Lord had something to say to that effect. To him who is more shall more be given. So if you have the truth of God, even as a mustard seed, the Lord says he is able to make it increase. He is able to make it more abundant, that we may 
grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the father has testified. He has testified of the son. And this is how the father has testified of the son. Matthew 12, 18 to 21. And this actually is a quotation from Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Behold, see him. My servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well, is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. In Psalm 2-7 as we learned last week. You are my son, today I have begotten you. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus baptism, Matthew 3, 7. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus praying in John 12, 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the father testified of the son. And even more, the greater testimony of the father was in the resurrection of the son. That's how Apostle Paul opens up the book of Romans. He was testified proclaimed, declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection. Here, Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is giving the witness of the Apostle and also in it, the Apostle of God about the Son. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 17. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Listen to verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. And Apostle John would come and also give a similar witness of Christ and the consequences of having or not having the witness of the Son or the witness of the Father about the Son. Listen to 1 John 5. Verses 5 to 12. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. 
not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So you see, the end of testimony is to be in agreement. If we receive the testimony of man, listen to verse 9. If we receive the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater. And that's why Jesus was saying, I don't need the testimony of man. Because the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this. Now, this is the testimony. That he, that he testified concerning his son. Verse 10. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. That's the testimony. The resurrection of Jesus was God's testimony, final testimony of the person of Jesus. The miracles that Jesus performed were testimony of not only him, but of the Father. And the miracles testified to his claim of being as God. The testimony also of the trying nature of God. Because Jesus says, I do the miracles by my Father. And yet he says to the Jews who were accusing him of performing miracles and saying, you do miracles by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, the devil. And he says, no, I do miracles by the Spirit of God. So you see, the miracles of God were there to attest to the nature of God as God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three are involved in miracles. So when we are reading the scriptures and we see the miracles, they are there not for us to say, well, Jesus was calming stones. So our sermon is going to be Jesus calms the storms in your life that you may become the better you, that you may become the significant you, invaluable you. The calming of the storms was supposed to make you wonder and say, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. So what, go what is God saying as we close? What is the Son of God saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying? What are the apostles saying? God is saying, if you want to know anything about him, you have to hear the testimony of Jesus and believe everything that he says about himself 
and what he says about you. God is telling us that he has gathered all things into the hands of the Son, that all should honor the Son, and because of that, your eternal destiny is in the hands of the Son of God. Your eternal destiny is not in the craziness of ISIS and all the commotion that is happening in the world. Your eternal destiny is not in the fate of the economies of the world. It's not in our retirement plans. It's not in our marriages. It's not in anything that we have but in the hands of the Son. God would have you understand that your eternal destiny and standing, because it's not just destiny, it's standing before God is on what you say about Jesus. And to believe in Jesus is to honor Jesus. And also, it is to have the right standing with Jesus. And to have that right standing with God and with Jesus, you have to believe in him whom the Father sent. You have to believe in him whom God the Father sent. And the one who believes has eternal life. The one who believes has eternal life and they have passed from death to life. And not only that, the Lord does not permit anyone to think that there are multiple ways to life and righteousness. The Lord does not give any impression whatsoever that there are multiple ways of salvation. He says, unless man come and deal with him now, now, they will surely die. They will not see life. They will not live but die. So the issue of salvation is not in how good one thinks they are. For God has completely removed salvation from the hands of sinful men. The determination of salvation is 100% on Jesus. Jesus is in the control room of salvation. Salvation cannot be attained by one trying to be good. For God does not give life to good men. God does not save good people. But to sinners who come to his son. If there's any who think they are good, then they cannot come to the physician. For well men do not seek a physician. Good men do not need help from anybody. It is the sick that see their need of healing and their inability to get into the pool of Bethesda. And when they see Jesus, they ask for help. They realize they can't go in by themselves. And we end by saying, Jesus Christ is God. We can't talk much about Jesus without acknowledging that very fact. And even though he does not receive testimony from men, 
He says, still, your destiny is on what you say about him. So he says, I have had sufficient testimony about myself. I have had a sevenfold witness of my person to substantiate the claims that I am making about myself. John the Baptist has made a witness of me. I have made a witness of myself by the works that the Father performs through me. The Father has made a witness of me. The scriptures have made a witness of me. Moses has made a witness of me. But not only that, the apostles and the disciples have made a witness of me. So you have no excuse. You have no excuse. So the one who denies the Son and his gospel makes God a liar. And that is the basis of man's condemnation. Amen. Let us, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne. Lord, to praise you and worship you. Thank you for the glory that you have put in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that all creatures may worship him, that we also may worship him, but as those who are recipients of his grace and work of salvation. And Lord, we pray that you open your people to understanding these things. For these are spiritual things. These are heavenly things. These are things that man cannot know by themselves unless they be born again, unless Christ has been revealed to them, unless they've been given the living water. They would not know how to make peace with you. And yet, by your grace, you have condescended yourself by your son, through your son, to come and reveal yourself to man, to sinful man, darkness dwellers, who hate your son with such passion that they would stone him, that they would put him on the cross and even be putting vinegar, giving vinegar to him to drink. And such is the hatred of sinners. And yet, you are still gracious to serve some. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your people that you've gathered. We thank you for those that you shall grant time and ears to hear what says the Lord. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.